Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. I've completely changed what I was going to speak on, so that's fun. Um, this is one of the most exciting church services I've actually been in in a while. This is awesome. Um, I think this is what church looked like in the beginning. I really do. And people gather, like the family gathering together to pray. It just it actually says they, they gathered together, they were in unison, agreement, they shared communion, and they prayed. And, uh, and the presence of God came every time. And uh, there's something, uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this. I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for what God's going to do in this season for you guys. And actually, you're going to find that the hung, it's the hungry people who come to the evening service, which actually is going to make it easier. It's actually going to make it a lot easier because it's um it's going to flow easier because there's going to be a hunger. It's a very natural hunger. If you're coming to the evening, it's because I want to actually see things shift. I want to see things change. I'm hungry for the power of God. It will be less take, more give, and that's gonna that's gonna be nice. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've completely changed what I want to speak on tonight. Um, I actually think um, on uh, Kevin asked me to speak on faith. I might touch on it, um, but one of the things that uh, when on the, on the flight up here, um, I really felt like God impressed on me that He um, I guess had a word for the church really. Um, and I just feel like he wants, he's bringing up two principles for you again. And I think this won't come as a surprise to you guys because I think, I think this, you might know this already. <laughs> I hope. If, just give me a look if this is like, no. Like, <laughs> go back to what you planned. But I think he's bringing up two principles, is, is family and presence again. And I, and I, and I wonder, uh, I really feel like God's almost like it was, it was your foundation it was the family and presence was the foundation of the church. And it's not that he's taking you back. It's like, it's more like a catapult. Sometimes like we have, sometimes we return in order. Actually, we can be flung further. And I feel like I have this sense that the Lord is impressing again, family. It's just a season, but he's bringing to the surface family and the presence because he's, he's wanting to catapult you forward again. So, um, this is an exciting time. I'm super excited to be here for sure. Um, and so actually I wanted to speak, but I want to speak on these two, it doesn't seem connected at all, but it is. Um, and I want to speak on family and presence and we'll see what God does. Um, I, I want to make room as well, like time to pray this evening. Um, cause it's good to kind of, there's no point waiting until next week, right? It's good just to start. But I want to start in this story. It's in two Samuel nine. I've given no one any verses. So, um, yeah, if it doesn't come up on the screen, I'm sorry. I'll read it all out for you, whatever I look at. But it's a story of King David and this guy called Mephibosheth. Um, Mephibosheth. Um, for those who don't know, David is the second king of Israel. Israel wanted a king and God gave them Saul. Um, Saul wasn't a great king. Uh, he kind of messed up along the way and actually hunted David, wanted to kill David. Uh, and so eventually um, God... God's anointing comes off of Saul. And actually, it's interesting, before um, David even becomes king, before David's even born, God says, I'm, lo- I'm going to fashion someone with, who, has a, who has the heart after God. And that David's not born yet. So before David's born, a promise is spoken about him. If you're ever in doubt that 
you don't have a purpose. Acknowledge that and know that before you're even born, God has called you for a purpose. Um, and so uh, kind of Saul and David have this kind of long, um, drawn-out kind of... Um, Saul goes after David, and David runs away and manages to, manages to escape. But the favor on David keeps just increasing. And eventually Saul recognizes this, and um, Saul eventually dies in battle, and, and, and David becomes king. But David was actually best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Jonathan asks David to make a promise. He says, one thing I promise you, don't ruin my family. Like, don't wipe them out. And in those days, if you were king, you had to get rid of anyone else who um, was a threat to you. And, Meph- and Mephibosheth was the, the, one of the only people left who was in the family of Saul. One of the only people. So David decides, he says, I need to keep to my word and my promise. And he says this, um, this is in 2 Samuel 9, 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba asked, answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amil. In Lodabar. So the king had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amil. Now David and Jonathan weren't technically family, but um, they become like brothers, blood brothers really. Um, And and family is a a principle of of David's kingdom. Um, And actually family is a principle of the kingdom in general. Uh, If the kingdom is a diamond, the setting for that diamond is family. In, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father. He kicks it off with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He sets the context of kingdom into family. That's actually the first time anyone's ever heard that, Our Father. No one's really referred to God as, as Father before. Because it takes the Son to, to show who the Father is, right? And so we get the revelation of the Father heart of God for the first time through Jesus. And so... Jesus sets the context of the kingdom in family. If kingdom is the diamond, then the setting of that diamond is family. There is something that attracts God to family. He's attracted to family. He loves, it's his idea. Family is his idea. And I'm not surprised that family is one of the things that the enemy tries to rob from most. It's important that we contend, not just for our um, spiritual family, but our nuclear families as well. Because God loves families. It's his design. He always brings, any time there's order in creation, God does it to bring life. And there's actually supposed to be life in family. And I know for a lot of people, that is just not true. Um, And it's something the enemy works hard at attacking. Often he'll hit you where you are most vulnerable, and often that is with your family or kids. Um, So it's important that we protect that thing. And actually, there's certain things about God that we are locked up to only be discovered in relationship. Um, the fruits of the Spirit, for example, patience. I can't, um, or the fruit of the Spirit, I should correct myself. Um, the, um, you can't, I can say I'm really patient um, without my little brother. But I have to learn, because of my little brother, I have to learn patience. I have to learn to rely on the Spirit to, to produce fruit in me to produce patience. There are certain things and characteristics of God 
that he wants to produce in you, that he's put you in relationship to produce those things. If you weren't in relationship, you wouldn't, those things just wouldn't be produced. And so family, there are certain things that in relationship we can only discover about God. And so relationship's important. That's why church is so valuable. Because he puts you in a family, a place to belong, because he, he knows that in that place you'll discover things about him that you couldn't discover on your own. Does that make sense? And so family is on the heart of God. I mean, if I said the word family to you, just kind of shout out some images that come to your mind. If I said family. A dinner table. Chaz, answer. that's how you know Chaz is anointed. I was going to say Chaz read my notes. I don't have any, so he couldn't have. But um, a dinner table. Exactly what I, whenever I think family, I think a table. Every time. I think Christmas dinner. Grandma and Grandpa sat at the head of the, the, the table. Um, my little cousin painting lipstick all over my grandma or something like that. The mum bringing out the turkey. Me making a hash of trying to carve it because I think I'm a man. And then my uncle steps in and actually carves it and does a good job of it. Um, the gammon and coke. That's the two things we always have. We have tur- turkey and then gammon and coke. If you've not the drug coke, I wouldn't recommend that. But the drink, Coca-Cola... Honestly, put put some gammon in Coke. It's amazing. Um, yeah, well, Jen knows. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I haven't broken this, have I? Okay, all right. Woo. Oh, uh, Bill Soph. Um What was I? Family. Yeah, that's it. Um, I see a table. Let's read this story some more. And so David says to uh, Mephibosheth, "I am going to give to you." Your land back. The land that was taken, Saul's land, I'm going to give it back to you. And you can always have a place in the palace. You can always come and eat dinner at my house. Now, what we've got to remember something about Mephibosheth is he was lame in both feet. He had to be carried everywhere. Now, he was lame in both feet. The Bible tells us that basically um, his family are going to get killed and a woman picks him up and runs with him but drops him and both his feet break. Um, and so he becomes lame in both feet. He was completely dependent on the mercy of David at this point. Completely dependent. And God says, I will give to you servants. I will, um, David said, I'll give to you servants. I'll give to you your lamb back. But there's something really interesting about Mephibosheth. Um, here we go. Um, he tells Mephibosheth all this stuff. And then it says... Um, uh, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Now, he didn't live in Jerusalem. That's not the land he was given. Mephibosheth makes a decision to move from his hometown to come and live with David. And I always wonder why, and I think it's because of this reason. Because he always ate at the king's table. And then it says this, he was lame in both feet. What happens when you sit at a table? Your legs are completely hidden. I believe there's a grace at the family table that our limpness is actually covered. Our weakness is disguised. And there's something about family that when we get around a table together, or when we get into church together, your limpness is hidden. There's a grace. There's a grace for your limpness. And where you feel weak, then the person next to you feels strong. And there's actually a joining together, a celebration together of, although we are a big mess individually, together, we're pretty strong. 
And I think there's something that God is calling, uh, he's pressing again, which is come to the family table and you will find there's a grace for your limpness. In which your limpness gets covered by others. Where you feel like you have been isolated and alone and struggling for a long time and you haven't really told anyone about it, there's a grace to come sit at the table and they will encourage you and lift you up. They will support you. And and actually there's some there's some people here who have been in relationship for a long time with each other. Like you've been um, at this church for a long time since the foundation, but I feel God is still calling you to another level of intimacy and friendship with people. That uh, Actually... Um, there are new as God continues to add to the church. It's important that although you've got stable friendships, it's important you get out of your comfort zone and begin to encourage those people, because they're waiting for you. They're actually waiting. They've got lameness and they're wanting to come and have a seat at your table. Invite them to your house. Make it practical. Come and have dinner at my house. A lot of I think most of the most of the kingdom work happens like all the good discussions happen around food. If you read the Bible, there's some important times in the table. And actually, Jesus, when he, at that Last Supper, we read about with the communion, one of the things he does is he washes all the disciples' feet in the midst of them arguing about who the greatest is. In that act of service, he covers their limpness. He actually says to them, do you see what I'm doing for you? I'm washing your feet. You're all, you've got this arrogance thing going on, but I'm in the midst of you as the greatest, and here I am serving. He gets underneath the table where the mess is, where the limpness is, where it's hidden, and he washes it clean. And there is something that happens at the family table where your limpness not only gets hidden, but gets sorted and dealt with. That you may be carrying a limp or walking around with some crippleness, but not only does it get, there's a grace where it gets hidden, there's also a grace where it gets dealt with and sorted. And um, for some of you, that's a call. You know, as I'm talking, you're literally feeling, I feel called to be like, like Jesus does and washes the feet. I feel called to like deliver people from their, from their crippleness and their lameness. I I feel a responsibility to actually start washing some people's feet and getting rid of that stuff and sorting it out. That's the first point I want to talk about. I think God is bringing up family again. And there's a grace for your limpness at the table. And the second is this, is, is presence. Presence is the cornerstone of everything we do. Um, the, in, um, the Israelites, when they wandered around in the desert, they encamped around the presence of God. So they, in, wherever the pillar of fire or cloud moved, there they went. Right? That, that was, they, they made decisions to encamp around the presence of God. And it's really easy to encamp around... I, we're finding in my church back home... It's really annoying because I'm, I'm a speaker. But we're finding that God starts to minister in the worship, not after the word. Don't be surprised if ministry shifts from after the word to during worship. Because there's something that happens when, you, when the presence of God... I'm not saying the presence of God doesn't come in and is not ushered in through the word, because it is. But there's something about valuing the presence of God in worship where he actually turns up and... And people get set free in the middle of worship. But the, a word doesn't even need to be spoken. They just worship. And people get set free and healed and delivered and, and restored. The presence of God is in worship. Not just the word as well. And keep like, 
This is, this is one I always say. Keep your eyes and ears open during worship. Lord, are you speaking to me for somebody? Does someone here need a... Am I, am I here this morning because I've got a word for someone to encourage them and lift them up? Value the presence of God above all else. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It's the cornerstone of who we are. Because ultimately the, the Holy Spirit exudes confidence in the Father. He exudes confidence in the Father. He, um, he, and, and so are we supposed to do that. And it's not surprising that if the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, the Bible says that my tabernacle is not with, in, a, in a building or in a tent anymore, but I'm making my tabernacle with men. So if the Holy Spirit takes up resident, residence inside of me, then it makes sense that I should begin to also exude a confidence in the Father. And that's ultimately what faith is. Faith is exuding a confidence in, in the very nature of who God is. Believing God at his word. God is God. He is not a man that he should lie, nor a man that he should change his mind. His promises are true. I love what the, the word that Kevin brought this morning about, um, it, about hope, and it's strong because of what Christ done. But more importantly, it's been put into us, deposited by the Spirit. And it is in relationship with the Spirit that we actually find confidence in the Father. And we have to be careful because um, there are two. The heaven is full of perfect faith, but earth is full of riddled with unbelief. It's actually a, a, I would call it a god of the age. Unbelief is actually championed as a virtue. It is a good thing to not have belief. Belief is a is a is a real. Um, it's kind of people think it's idiotic. Unbelief is championed. I guess it gets called critical thinking, but. And I'm not against using your mind. But when your mind is not under the lordship of Christ, it becomes a real barrier to faith. A real barrier to faith. Our thought life, I, I wonder how much my thought life restricts God. I, I think he's interested in what I think about, not just what I say. And there are a lot of us who actually, we speak faith because we know that's the right thing to do. But we speak out of a fear that anyone finds out what's going on in the brain. Because I'm nervous that if someone searches my thoughts, it's not going to be good. Um, it, actually, in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 10 to 14. Let's look at something. Do, 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 do. All the Ians. Thanks for that tip, by the way, Charles, this morning. Um, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. In other words, the spirit goes into the thought life of the father and comes out with extreme confidence in his faithfulness. I have never gone into my thought life and come out with any confidence in myself. I think random thoughts all the time. And I'm like, if I had to draw confidence from my thought life, oh dear, we're all in trouble. And if you're feeling a bit cocky about your thought life, if we put your thought life up like a film, for, for this is the past hour on a screen, I don't think you'd stick around to watch that film. And the confidence that you had would soon wither away and die. Um, but there's something about it here. It says that actually it's the spirit of God who knows the thoughts of the father. So if I can 
fix my mind on the Spirit, if I can begin to contemplate Him, He will begin to tell me the thoughts of the Father. He will change my thinking. And whatever reality we're more aware of, whatever reality we live more in, is the reality we'll give out. Um, and renewal has to happen through the Spirit. I mean, Romans 12, uh, 2 puts it this way. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is important. It needs renewing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 14 um, puts it this way. Okay. But their minds were made dull. In chapter 4 it actually says their minds were blinded. It's really interesting that it impl- there's an implication that the mind can see. It has a perspective. Um, but their minds were made dull. For this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read... A veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Another way to put that is, where the Spirit is Lord, freedom follows. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, but wherever the Spirit is Lord, freedom follows. Now the context of the freedom here is a seeing mind, an unveiled mind. When you allow the Spirit to become Lord of this thing here, your brain, you actually begin to think differently. What was impossible actually becomes logical. We're told, in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told we actually have the mind of Christ. That, that, that the Spirit has given to us the mind of Christ. When I turn to the Lord... When I decide, okay, Lord, I want to make you number one. I want to actually, you have lordship over my mind. He will change your thought pattern. And you will begin to think that which was impossible is logical. You will begin to think like Christ. You begin to think that when I speak, I can't help but create. Or, or I can actually walk into a room and my row or my clothes could heal somebody. That's how Christ lived. It's incredible. He didn't even will it. <laughs> Just such was the presence of God on him that someone touched. He didn't know about it. Jesus didn't decide, I'm going to heal this woman. Just someone, just, just, she just touched him and he, she, he, she, uh, she was healed because of her faith and because Jesus had learnt to allow spirit to be Lord in his life. If you don't believe me, it actually says in the Bible that Jesus learnt obedience. Jesus learnt obedience. I must learn obedience. I've got to learn to be obedient. And when, it, when we think about it like this, faith doesn't become great effort. Faith is not squeezing as hard as you can. One thing comes out when you do that. It rhymes with fit. Faith is not, is not straining or striving or great effort. Did Soph just get that? Oh, okay. My girlfriend's so holy. I know. <laughs> Faith does not come through great straining or great effort. It comes in actually great surrender. Faith is a surrendering to the Spirit. In my surrender, my faith is built. And when I begin to renew my mind and I surrender it to the Spirit and go, okay, 
Because who knows, there's, there's a pursuit of knowledge which is actually rooted in unbelief. In the Garden of Eden, if you don't believe me, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Eve goes after the, 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 the tree of what? The, no, the knowledge of good and evil. She went after a knowledge that was actually rooted in a mistrust of the Lord. Because the, 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 the God had turned up and said, I have given you everything. Just don't eat from that tree. Didn't really give him a reason. He just said, I've given you everything. Trust me. And there's actually a pursuit of knowledge, especially when it comes to faith. There are a ton of books on faith. You can go buy a ton of them. And what I've found is that the people who buy those books often are the ones who are most desperate for a miracle. But, but it's in that desperation. It's actually the, the purchase is made because of fear, not because of faith. There's a, there's a desperation of like, oh, oh my word, I'm sick. I need a healing and I'm nervous that God isn't who he says he is. So I'm going to go after a pursuit of knowledge that is rooted in a mistrust of God. And so we have to be careful when we say I'm going after knowledge of something. Make sure it's not rooted in mistrust. And make sure that it's actually a knowledge of the of a person, not a principle. I I submit not to a principle, but a person. When I reduce the spirit to a principle in my life, like gravity, he becomes a performing monkey. Gravity is a principle. I can I can just keep doing it all day. I can test it. I can rely on it. It's a principle. It's a good thing. But we're not called into relationship with a principle, with or a belief system. We're called into relationship with a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. And we have to learn to yield to the person, which is a really hard thing. I actually think faith is not the stumbling block of Christianity. I think obedience is. It, 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 people believe the dumbest stuff. Oh, Seriously, people believe the dumbest stuff. I, some conversations I've had with people in the past year or so, and uh, question their belief or whatever, they're just they're so shaky in what they believe. It's just it's crazy. Um anyway, um the world the world believes like certain stuff and, and they're fine with it. Belief is not the problem. Faith often is not the problem in your life. The problem is obedience. The problem is obedience. An unwillingness to yield to a person. An unwillingness to say, Okay, spirit, I submit to you. I come to you again and I yield to your way of thinking. Please renew my mind. Um, hmm. oh, let's jump to this. Um, John 2, uh, 23 to 25. Says this. I love this. Is, um, when I came back from, uh, when, when I went back home, the Lord um, spoke to me a little bit and he said, you have... Learn how to minister. You've learned ministry, but you haven't learned intimacy. It actually kind of broke me a little bit because what I'd learned to do was get good at holding a microphone. What I hadn't learned to do was sometimes to get good in the quiet place, to actually seek the face of God, to pursue Him above all else. That, that He would be my chief value. Um, and that's just, I guess, a bit of honesty. But John two twenty three twenty five says this, and this is where the Lord spoke to me. And he said, "Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testament about mankind, for he knew what was in each person." I find this really interesting. Belief wasn't lacking. They saw the miracles and they believed in his name. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them. And I'm like, 
Okay, why? I, I need to figure out why because I cannot be someone who Jesus has not entrusted himself to. I can't be someone who has professes to have faith, believe in his name, but not be someone he entrusts himself to. And it actually explains it um, later in uh, John 6. And Kevin read it, and this is what confirmed for me to speak a little bit about this. Um, it, in John 6, it talks about Jesus, the bread of life. Now, to explain what's happened in before that, so they, he, he's, performed, he's performing all these miracles and he's gathering quite a crowd. And one of the things he does is he has to feed 5,000 people. 5,000 people turn up to him and he feeds them with bread and fish. And they are amazed. And they begin to talk among themselves and they say, we should make this guy our king. There is a willingness to make God king that is not rooted in obedience, but rooted in as taking, right? You you can profess to make God king that is actually um, a longing to grab and take, to use him as a principle, not as a person. And um, what they actually do, it, honestly, I love this story so much. And so Jesus runs away and he goes to the other side of the lake. He walks on water in between, but we'll just skip that bit. Anyway, um, and then... Um, they find him again. And they're like, there he is. We, we, there's our man. Where did you go? What are you doing? You just fed us tons of We're going to make you our king. It's going to be awesome. Where did you go? And Jesus answered, John 6, 26, 27. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has placed his seal of approval. But they still don't get it. And they're like, oh, what, what do we do? To, like, do the works of God. And, and he's like, oh, you know, he gives them an example. He's like, just eat the bread of life. Oh, where can we get this bread? He's obsessed with this bread. And then he's like, oh, you know, that he comes directly from heaven. And the, the, that's who, like the, like the manna, but that was stale. And this is like eternal bread. And they're like, always and only give us this bread. And then he goes, okay, that's the bread you want? You're looking at him. The bread's a person. It's me. And they're all like, huh? What? Actually, the story goes on. And it actually says that all but 12 left him at that point. That's a terrible sermon. Like, that's not a good <laughs> preach, right? If you, if, I, if you were to speak to thousands of people and everyone leave in offense, but 12 people remain. I just love that Jesus doesn't care about numbers. He's looking for yielded hearts. And actually, the, the thing that happens is that he turns to them, even the 12, and he says, do you want to go as well? Because it's actually only going to get worse from here. I'm actually only going to say more outrageous stuff. And you're only going to get more persecuted for following me. Do you want me? That's what he's asking them. Do you want me? If I am not enough, go home. If I am not enough, go home. Because I'm not looking to be used as a performing monkey. I'm, look, I'm a person and I'm looking to form relationship with people. And the spirit is the same. He's longing for relationship with us. He's a person, not a principle. And the presence of God is something that can only be carried. It can't be boxed. In, in, in David, when he brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the first time he tries to do it, he lumps it on a cart. God's not happy about that. And they mess up. And God, and then, because um, what he tried to do is essentially box the presence of God. Well, the presence of God, the wind of God blows wherever it wants. 
you can maybe you can maybe direct its flow, but you can't box it. And and um, it's it's wild. There's that song, River Wild in Me. You know that that's how I see the Spirit of God. Much more like a river wild. It's it's messy sometimes, um, and that's okay. But you can't box it. The presence of God. David had to learn that it can only be carried. They had to carry the presence of God. And actually, they had to carry it like six steps, put it down and worship. And then pick it up again and carry six steps and, and worship again. You see that connection with the presence of God and worship again. But there's a principle in to learn there, which is the presence of God can only be carried. It's a lifestyle choice. You can't just walk. We live off of the, the faith that somebody else has most of the time in church. I would love it to walk into a church where every individual has been doing their own thing with the Lord and they come together. Because actually what will kick off is, is incredible. What happens is most of the time in church services is we get together and actually what happens is we live off the faith of somebody else. We listen to a sermon and we're like, wow, that person's really met with the Lord this week and I love what they've tasted. And it can be fresh, but it's much better getting your own stuff. Because the Lord is not looking he's, for people who just use him, who eat from him, who just want the bread. He is saying, am I enough for you? The bread of life. Are you willing to cultivate relationship with me? Are you willing to yield? I'll finish with this. Um, I'll finish with this story. In Luke 17. Um... Luke seventeen three to ten. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So you have you have permission to rebuke them if they're sinning against you. Uh, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, "I repent," you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, "Increase our faith." Now at this point, they're called the apostles, not the disciples, because they've been they've started to perform the miracles themselves. Um, He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the tree, and it will obey you. So we've heard that before. Faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. Great. But actually, that's not what God is, Jesus is pushing at here. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. The issue wasn't their faith. The issue was their lack of obedience. It's really interesting when Christians say to me, God has spoken to me about this, but I just don't have the faith for it. I'm like, you're lying. You, you're just not willing to obey. The issue is not your faith. It's not, it's not about your lack of faith. What you're actually saying to me is, I've heard the voice of God. He's spoken. I know he's good, but I, I don't have the faith for it. No, what you're saying is, I just don't want to do what he's telling me to do. And most of the time, God puts a demand on you, and he's just saying, do it. (laughs) He doesn't call you into something that you can't handle in the first place. We have to learn to be yielded to a person in order that when he calls us into a situation, it's not a a faith as small as a mustard seed can throw a mulberry tree into a river. Imagine what obedience can do. 
Obedience is better than sacrifice. In fact, it's impossible to please God without faith, but it's also impossible to love him without obedience. He actually says that um, when, he said, when he talks about family, here's how family and obedience life are linked. He's, someone calls out and says, blessed is the mother who nursed you. And he says, no, blessed is the one who hears the words of my father and obeys them, for they are my family. That's pretty savage words from Jesus right there. But the point is, is that he's looking for yielded hearts. That he can actually go, I can begin to form a thought life in this person because they're willing, they're yielded to me. And, um, and he just wants us yielded. He just wants hearts. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.